Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. And this podcast marks the first of a series that we intend to do concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was just telling Kurt a few moments ago that I was having a Bible study this last week with a, a young lady uh, and her husband. Uh, they're, they're members at Northwest and, and we, we study frequently together. She had said that she had just finished listening to the series on the crucifixion. And so we you were know, kind of talking about that, some things she thought were interesting and reminded me of some things that we had been saying. And it was, a, it was an excellent conversation that we had. But it, somewhere in there, she said, well, what happened next? And so I said, what, what do you mean what happened next? And so she, we kind of discussed that for a little bit. And she said, man, you have to do something on that because the crucifixion is not the end. And she is exactly right. Amen. The, yes. the crucifixion is not the end. After Christ is raised from the dead, we have about a 40-day period where he appears to many with his resurrected body as the resurrected Christ. And there's confirmation there that he has certainly been raised from the dead. And when you move into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. It's the first gospel sermon that is preached by Peter and the apostles. And, and that is the starting point for the gospel, the gospel message that was built and established by Jesus Christ, his life, his death his burial, and his resurrection. And, and so if you look at Acts, you will notice that every sermon in that book speaks of the resurrection and points to the significance of that event. The first sermon, as I mentioned, is in Acts chapter 2. And Peter says this in his sermon, Acts 2 verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so there's the introduction to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the same sermon. He'll say it again in verse 30, 30 verse 30 of Acts 2. Uh, speaking of David, he says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 31, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, in verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. And, and as I said, just going through those sermons in Acts, you will see every time the resurrection is mentioned. Acts 3 in verse 15 and in verse 26. Acts 4 in verse 10. Acts 5 in verse 30. Acts 10 in verse 40. Acts 13 in verse 30. Verse 33. Verse 34. And verse 37. Acts 17 in verse 3 and verse 31. And Acts 26 in verse 23. The resurrection is absolutely vitally important to the gospel and to the New Testament Christian. And that's exactly what Paul said when he discussed the resurrection of Jesus at length in his first letter to the Corinthian church. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 3, he says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So, 
he points out in verse 3 that he delivered to them first of all this which he received concerning the resurrection of Jesus. So this was the important point that he wanted them to be grounded in and to understand because as he goes on in chapter 15, he says it is the cornerstone of our faith. It is the foundation for the faith and everything that exists as a result of it, the church, uh, the hope that we have of eternal life. Everything is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we would expect, as you just noted, that those preachers that went out and proclaimed Jesus in the book of Acts would talk about that. That is point number one to start with when you're establishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is the reason why we're going to take an extended look at it as we did with the crucifixion, because this is the battleground. This is really where the fight is between believers and unbelievers. If the resurrection did not happen, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, then we are most of all to be pitied. We, we are just a bunch of helpless fools for staking our lives and our eternity on a foolish idea that didn't happen if those who reject the resurrection are correct. But if it is, then it is the ground of our faith. It is, it is that which everything rests on. So not only do we need to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and believe it, like I say repeatedly because I think it is important, we, not, we don't need to know just that we believe in the resurrection. We need to know why we believe it. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to look at arguments that have been raised to explain away the resurrection in, in materialistic or naturalistic terms and compare them with what the Bible says. We're going to look at uh, other evidences for the resurrection. But I think, as always, if we're going to talk about the resurrection, we need to know what it is we're talking about. Yes. Um, and so we need to define the term. What, what is a resurrection the way the Bible uses it? And... The Greek word, which is anastasis, literally means a standing or rising up. So, in other words, something that was down or laying down now stands up. And that's what we see in the scriptures. It is not a resuscitation of, of somebody and, and, you know, doing CPR and getting their breath back. Right. It's not a recreation of another person uh, or bringing a person back into a different body, a recreated body. Um, it's not a coma. It's not a someone coming out of a stupor there where everyone thought they were dead and, uh, oh, hey, they're back. They must, have, they must have resurrected. The Bible doesn't use the resurrection. It doesn't use that word in that way. Uh, it never posits a, a, someone in a coma and then coming out of it and then attributing that as, oh, wow, they came back from the dead. It is always a bodily raising. As James points out in James 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead. So when the spirit leaves, or for example, when Jesus said, into your hands I commend my spirit, and he gave up his spirit, that didn't mean he ceased to exist. It meant his body died. The body was still there, 
His spirit was still alive, because Ecclesiastes tells us the body goes back to the dust, but the spirit returns to him who gave it. So someone who has died has had their spirit leave the body. For them to be resurrected, their spirit is allowed miraculously to re-enter that body. That body then is reanimated. It's brought back to life because the spirit's back in it, and life goes on for that individual. And we see numerous examples uh, in the New Testament of the way that, that the New Testament uses this word. We've got the example of the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, which interestingly, all three synoptic, I'll get it, synoptic gospels, or the, the similar gospels, all record this incident. Uh, Matthew 9, beginning at verse 18, uh, Mark chapter 5 at verse 22, and then verses 35 through 43, and then Luke 18, beginning at verse 41. Another example is the raising of the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. There's the famous resurrection of Lazarus, bringing him back out of the tombs after four days in John 11. We're told in Matthew 27 in verses 52 and 53 that many deceased saints came out of the graves. In other words, were raised back up to life when uh, Jesus died and was resurrected. Uh, outside the Gospels, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 46, 36, I should say, 240, you have the raising of Tabitha, who had passed away. All the members of the church there were grieving for her, and Peter, by the power that is in Jesus, raised her back to life. And then finally, there's Eutychus in Acts chapter 9, or Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 9 and 10, and then verse 12. It says, he fell out of a third-story window and was taken up dead. But Paul rushed down on him and said, don't worry, for his life is in him. Now, it's my understanding that having fallen out of a five or a three-story window and then his brethren there in Troas taking him up dead, that he was dead right. and that he was raised back to life. So all of these instances show a body that had ceased to live because the spirit had departed is brought back to life. There's no resuscitation, no, no renewed body, no coming out of a coma. So I think it's important that we understand that that is the biblical concept of a resurrection because we'll hear people in opposition say, oh, well, they were passed out, you know, in a deep coma. Everyone thought they were dead. And we see examples of that today because we hear about people at funerals that are just about ready to, to be the casket closed. And all of a sudden they sit up and say, where am I? Well, that's not a resurrection. That's a resuscitation. Yeah. The Bible doesn't present a resurrection in that way. You had mentioned all of this different situations where we the Bible tells us of someone who was raised, and we know from the text that they were dead. Lazarus is a great example because, remember, Martha stops the Lord and says, uh, he's been buried for four days. By this time, his body stinks. Mm -hmm. um, they understand what that means. He's decomposing now. It's her brother. She'd love to have him raised, but she knows that it's far too late and he's far too gone. And he says to her, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection. 
and you need to believe that. So that that challenge is laid there, and then he. So when he speaks and says, "Lazarus, come forth," there's nothing else he can do but come forth. Which again, will as as we'll continue to look at this, it'll point back to our resurrection. Yes. How are we going to be raised? How's God going to do it? Can He find all the molecules in my body? You know, all of that stuff. People ask those questions. Um, do you have to be buried in the ground in order to be raised from the dead? You know, those those questions are out there. But the reality is, is that we have the creator who made us to begin with, you know, and no one, no one was asking back then, where are you going to find the molecules to make me a baby and help me grow? You know, the Lord will do this the way that he's already set forth to do it. And he's proven that by Christ who was dead and buried for three days and three nights. And, and again, all of that to help us to confirm he was he was dead, but he was not going to be left in Hades. He would not see corruption. That's also part of that prophecy and another one of the ones that I love concerning the resurrection of the the people that we see that Christ was involved with is uh, Jairus's daughter we know she's 12 years old but Luke's gospel when Jesus comes there he says he found them weeping and mourning and he said do not weep and mourn she is not dead she is sleeping and they ridiculed him yep. knowing that she was dead. So mm-hmm. that, there's not even a discussion here. We know this young girl is dead. We watched her suffer in her final hours. We watched her stop breathing. It's just not a, it's not a debate. She is absolutely dead. And then it says he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called. Called yeah. to who? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that tells us something Same right there. Same thing at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Who's he talking to? There's nothing but a dead body in there. That's right. Well, there's someone to talk to still. He's calling beyond. And Jesus physical. can communicate with them. Yeah. And they are at his command. Yeah. It just, it's he's awesome. holding He's holding this girl's hand and he calls to her. It's like, that's not how you say that if you're sitting next to me. You're talking to him. You know, you whisper to them maybe. But to call out or to call out beyond, uh, there's a beautiful picture here again of, of someone who's clearly dead who's being raised from the dead. And so God, obviously, through his son, performing these miracles, is demonstrating the power that he has. Yes. And that that is an, a, a validation of our resurrection then. Jesus is the prince of life. If he can call forth life, if he can look at this dead body and said, come back, sit up, get up, come forth, that spirit is going to obey and come back to the body. And with the spirit back in the body, then the body is alive. Uh, I think James' statement in James 2.26 is so important to understand the nature of death, which helps us to understand what a resurrection is. Death is the spirit departing from the body. The spirit still lives. The body is now dead. There, there is no life in it. So that life is in the Spirit. And when Jesus commands it to come back, it will. He has authority over death and life. In his resurrection, he has conquered death so that life might reign. So, you know, if, if God can create the universe and the world and everything that lives in it, I don't think it's a huge problem for him <laughs> to raise back from the dead that which he created in the first place. No, no, so, it's not a problem. If we can accept the creation as a miracle, the resurrection should be no hurdle. 
Amen. That's exactly right. And so we're talking about, you know, people coming up with these different reasons that they think, well, here's what actually happened or what have you. Uh, this is not new, right? You go back to the Hebrew and the Greek thought of the day. This, they had all kinds of preconceived notions about resurrection or if it's even possible, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it just like today's world. And I, I believe this is the way that God has designed it. When you look at the resurrection, you only have two options. It either happened or it didn't. There is no middle ground. And so it's not surprising to see in the first century, in the time of Jesus, and uh, shortly thereafter, as we can read through the book of Acts and and the epistles, that uh, there were two schools of thought uh, concerning resurrection. And Paul alludes to them when he writes. uh, For the Greek, of course, they were heavily steeped in Plato's philosophy. And Platonism uh, had basically taught that all matter is inherently evil, and so what is spirit is good. So for them, there was just that very clear dichotomy. And so when you brought up the idea of a bodily resurrection to a Greek, and they are steeped in this philosophy, to them, that is a repulsive idea. It's ridiculous. It's foolish. As Paul says to the Greeks, the gospel is foolishness. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness, he tells the Corinthians. So the reason it's foolish is if if you look at Greek reasoning here, the reasoning makes sense. If the body is, since it's matter, and all matter is evil, then the body is evil. My spirit's good. When I die, my spirit departs. Why do I want to come back into an evil body? You wouldn't. And so to them, as the uh, Athenian philosophers did uh, in Acts 17 on Mars Hill, they, they laughed. They, they thought, this is, this, is, this is just stupid. doesn't make sense. Well, of course, the reasoning is based on a false premise. Right. The body is not inherently evil. Um, but that was the the in the Gentile world in the time of the Roman Empire. This Greek philosophy was pretty dominant, and a lot of people accepted it. For example, the Sadducees, who were Jews, Jewish religious leaders. But we're told in Acts chapter twenty three, when Paul is before them, that he spoke out and he, when he was before the council he said brethren I, I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee concerning the resurrection of the dead I'm called into question this day well that starts a big brouhaha between the Pharisees and the Sadducees yep. and Luke explains why the Pharisees believed in the bodily resurrection because as we're going to see in future episodes the Old Testament prophesied of it but The Sadducees, on the other hand, which were apparently the dominant uh, political party group within the the Jewish religious leadership, we're told did not believe in angels or spirits or a resurrection Mm -hmm. because for them, essentially, there was no real spiritual world. But they were proponents of Greek philosophy. They accepted Greek culture and Greek thinking, so they rejected the resurrection. So, 
That is basically the same situation we have today. You have people, learned people, scholarly people, uh, apologists who will offer argumentation that there cannot be such a thing as a bodily resurrection from the dead. And then you'll have those who do proclaim it and accept it as, as we are uh, in this podcast. So even the Jews were split into those two camps after Alexander had conquered the, the known world with, uh, with his Greek armies. He had spread this Greek philosophy with him. And so even in Israel, you had this split between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So it was a common uh, debate in those days. Um, and it hasn't really changed in our day. Yeah, that's right. And I've always been told that the, so the Sadducees did not believe, as you said, in angels, spirits, or the resurrection, and that's why they are sad, you see. I know mm. you've heard yeah, that. Yes, I but have. But that's a good little memory <laughs> trick. That that, it is. That, yep. They should be sad, you see, because without that, there's no hope after this life. Well, we can recall, just to illustrate that, uh, the last big round of debates that, that they had with the all of Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, uh, they all kind of ganged up on him one day toward the end of his ministry and tried to ask him questions that were going to trip him up. It's, we, gotta, we can get something on this guy. And the Pharisees came to him with their big what-if question uh, to try to show the ridiculousness of the resurrection. The Sadducees, yep. Yeah, the Sadducees. And so Jesus rebuked them by saying, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Well, that's a pretty blunt statement. And then he, he asked them, haven't you ever read where God said at the bush, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So there is a life after death. The spirit continues to live because at any time in history, we read that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were long dead by the time that God revealed this to Moses at the burning bush, and yet he is still their God. That's right. It's awesome. So that was kind of disappointing, I'm sure, for the Sadducees to hear, which would have made them sad, you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that long, drawn-out story, and nothing came from it for them. That's, that's a shame. Yeah, it was the ultimate what-if question. So just, uh, just a few points to show the unique power of the resurrection of Jesus and, and the unique place it occupies in reality and in the things that we should think of. There is no other religion of note that claims a resurrection of, from the dead for its founder. Uh, Islam acknowledges that Muhammad has left. They, they say he ascended directly into heaven on a horse. Uh, but there's no resurrection there. Uh, Buddha is recognized to have died. Uh, same with Confucius. All the major world religions, when they look at their founder, that founder is not here anymore. They died. It, or they didn't rise from the dead. Islam is a little bit different in that. They, they say Muhammad never died. He just got on his horse and left a hoof print at the at a rock and at the golden dome and then flew on into heaven but jesus died according to the scriptures 
and was buried and rose from the dead, according to the scriptures, just like Paul said. So this is a unique claim, and it's a unique unique act of Jesus. And all other religions are going to have to address that. They're going to have to account for the fate of Jesus Christ. Because interestingly, all the other religions hold Jesus in esteem. They hold him highly. Okay, fine. Explain for me where he is. What happened to him? And they have to account for that. And they do in various ways. We'll look at those arguments later on. But Christianity is unique in that aspect. We claim that our founder, the author and the finisher of our faith, died, was buried, and rose from the dead. That's no right. one else, no other religion does that. Nope. So, in line with that, there are also a couple of unique aspects of the resurrection that we don't often think of. But again, they show the unique nature of the resurrection and the power that is involved in the resurrection. And that is, first of all, that Jesus raised himself. That is not to exclude the Father, because he indicated that the Father was also involved in his resurrection. But in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, we read that this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Or I'm in John chapter 1. That's not going to answer the question. I need to be in chapter 2. When Jesus was uh, confronting the Jews, he said uh, to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Right. And then they, they couldn't, they took that literally. Uh, we've been building this temple for 46 years, and you, you're going to raise it up in three days? Verse 21 says he was speaking of the temple of his body. So Jesus said he was going to raise himself back up after three days. Again, this is affirmed in John chapter 10, beginning at verse 17, and this is in the middle of a protracted debate with, with his opponents. Jesus says, My Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So the entire Godhead was involved in yes. the resurrection of Jesus. But it's an interesting claim from Jesus. I'm going to give up my life. They aren't going to take it from me. They're not going to kill me and take my life from me. I'm going to give it up. In other words, I'm going to allow my spirit to leave my body so that my body will die. And that's what he said on the cross. Into your hands... I commend my spirit, as he spoke to the Father. So, he said, I will give up my life, but I'll take it back again, which shows his total mastery over death. Right, that's the point. Yeah. And so, he has that absolute power over death and that absolute ability to grant life, eternal life. If he can do that to himself, I mean... 
who raises themselves up from the dead? They've got to, they've got to be God. Jesus was God in the flesh, we're told in John 1, verses 1 and verse 14. So he is able to take his life back again because he is the author of life. And so we know that if we die in Christ, he has power to raise us again because he did it for himself. So what that means is if Jesus rose from the dead, and, and I think this is such an important point, of course, those who are Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ, accept the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, then Christianity is true, period. If the author of our faith, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead, then the faith that he offered is true because he demonstrated who he is. And that's why the resurrection is such a battleground. It's because it invalidates all other religions. Yeah. If they do not acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead, then they are not true. They're not holding to the truth. They're not proclaiming the truth. And that includes, in my view, the religions of atheism and materialism. Sure. Those are religious philosophies, essentially. So they have to account for this also. Yeah, they absolutely do. And I... Like you said, Christians, we we accept this. Obviously, we believe it to be true. We, our faith is built upon it. And I think about people who may begin to look. You know, like what what is the truth? Um, I, I believe there's an absolute truth. I believe that it's it's it can be found. Anyone who's looking for the truth in that way, with that perspective, um, the next question that any one of us who at least gets to that point is, I need to decide who I'm going to listen to. Right. I need to, I need to decide who may or may not have that truth and then start to focus in on that and then and filter that through, you know, my own understanding and what I can come to terms with and all, all that can be worked out as we establish our own faith in Jesus Christ. But you mentioned all the other religious leaders. You've got Buddha and Muhammad and you know, so you say, well, they had some things to say and they got a lot of followers. Mm-hmm. But they died. And they're either in a grave or in a tomb or their ashes are in a pot somewhere being worshipped by men. There is one who raised from the dead. And as you pointed out, clearly he claims to have raised himself from the dead. Twice we saw that in the Gospel Gospel of John. Romans chapter 8 says the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. And certainly Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 2, Peter said over and over again, God the Father raised him from the dead. So the three of the Godhead are intimately involved in the raising from the dead. Christ had the power to do it himself and he accomplished that. And so if you say, well, who will I listen to? Because this is important to me and it should be. Yes. Who else would you listen to than the one who did what he said he would do is is in regards to having power over death itself. Because in Hebrews chapter two, it says that we were all held in bondage by the fear of death. Yep. And we know everybody here knows that. If COVID didn't point that out to us, then oh, I don't know what's man. going to. Yes. The whole world fell on its knees in terror that I might die, I might be next. And we changed our behavior in every possible way because of the fear of death. And so we are no longer under that bondage. We don't fear death because we know, James chapter 2 and verse 26, the body dies when the spirit departs. The spirit lives forever. And that's what we need to be focused on and, and, and focusing all our attention on. So again, if you're going to ask yourself, 
I do want to know the truth. I want to come to terms with what is absolutely right and true. And I want to follow God. If he's out there, I want to follow him. Then understand that there is an empty grave in Jerusalem, an empty tomb specifically in Jerusalem. And that speaks volumes to the world today, that there is someone who has risen from the dead and ascended to the Father. And he speaks to us today through and by his word. We, he died not just to show us he could raise himself from the dead, but to, to be a sacrifice for the sins we've committed. So, you know, if you're going you're to take hold of something, what you look at these other prophets with the wise sayings, you know, and the, like you said, the, the, the Platonic viewpoint and, and then Muhammad and, and Buddha, they, they've got some things that were very interesting and worth thinking about, but none of them died for us and then were raised from from utter and absolute death to demonstrate their power so that we might not just have something to hold on to or, or have like a couple of good sayings we want to keep in our pocket. Everything is built and based on this. And, and if if you decide to part from that or you let men and what science is showing today or anything else pull you away from the revealed word of God, you're in trouble because ain't nobody who's trying to pull you away from the Lord has been risen from the dead and can speak emphatically in, in, in authority about the things that are coming. Yeah, in fact, that is a point that Peter infers in his uh, first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, and uh, I believe all the other apostles were proclaiming it also because we're told they were all speaking in tongues, so I think they were speaking to different groups of those people who understood the language they were using, and they were all proclaiming the same thing, but we're getting Peter's rendition of it. And he tells the people that you murdered Jesus by the hands of the Gentiles. You gave him up and had him executed. And that execution was verified. But God raised him from the dead. To me, I've I've always looked at that as, you know, the, the, the Supreme Court in Israel, the religious authorities, had judged Jesus guilty and condemned him to death because of his blasphemy as they saw it. But then that, uh, that case went up to the Supreme Court of the universe <laughs> and their decision was reversed. That's right. Because Jesus returned from the dead. His body rose out of the tomb and he lives forevermore uh, as Lord and Savior and King of all things. That's right. So, as you discussed there a moment ago, that's really the most important decision we have to face. We have to be concerned about our spiritual destiny. What's going to happen to me when I'm no longer alive on this earth? Do I just disappear into dust? Uh, Is there an existence that goes on? And if so, what is it? And how do I have access to it? Well, the resurrection answers those questions. That's right. Um, and that's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 10 at verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if a person wants to be saved in Christ, if they want to establish fellowship with him, and have their sins forgiven, 
and have that assurance that after I die, I'm going to live on, then they have to believe in the reason for that. And that is that Jesus rose from the dead. So a person cannot say, well, I believe in Jesus and then deny the resurrection. You have to believe the resurrection occurred uh, in order to be saved. So it's of absolute vital importance. And really, the, the question answers itself. Uh, we should face that question and deal with it. Where am I going to find the truth? Well, how about the one who, who proclaimed the greatest wisdom in the world? He, he is the teacher. Even unbelievers acknowledge that Jesus was a great teacher. But he made some claims, and he said he was going to do some things that just don't happen in normal everyday life. No. You know, I'm not going to, I can't say I'm going to give up my life and then take it back again three days later. I don't have that power. But if Jesus did that, then there are some, there's some weight behind his words. That validates everything he had to say because he kept his promise and he established that he is God in the flesh. He's the son of God. He has power over all things. Therefore, he's the one I should listen to because if he has power over life, then he knows how that life ought to be lived to the benefit of the one who lives that life. That's right. And so he is our guide in everyday life. He's the one who gives us the light to walk by. He gives us the knowledge and the wisdom we need to discern good and evil, to make wise choices, because he lives. And it's through his apostles and prophets of the New Testament that we can understand that he lives and how he wants us to live so that we can live with him in eternity. That's right. Yeah, there's no one else to follow. There is no one else. There's no one like him, and that is on purpose. Um, so we'll continue to look at this idea uh, and many aspects of it so that we can have a good um, a good place that we can all be as far as the resurrection is concerned. As Kurt pointed out, and he's absolutely right, that the resurrection is the battleground of it all. If that, that Once that's established within us and in our own thinking and our theology— then everything else will flow from that. We must believe in the resurrection in order to be saved. And it can't be set to the side and say, I'm still not sure about that. It deserves our time and attention. And we should be sure about that after a careful study. And that's part of what we hope to do as we work through that with all of you. Uh, we always have trivia questions, so we want to do that before we end today. Certainly. Um, Kurt, I, so let me say, because we we did try to scale back the, tri the trivia questions a little bit, we got we were gotten to some heavy hitting where it was, you know, I think, you know, several months ago where it was like, I don't think anyone knows the answer to that. So um, you're not going to quote Psalm 119 today? No, not. I have it. I have it memorized okay. just in case, but okay. uh, I'm not going there. What I am going to do, and I'm just kidding about that, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> Good. What, what I am going to do is um, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. So and we'll see. Maybe, uh -oh. maybe you'll think I didn't, but I, I do think that I did. I can't jump over four feet, you know. To, to get over oh. the high bar here. So Okay, so there's no questions today, then we'll <laughs> go ahead and say goodbye. Okay, throw it at me. We'll see We'll oh. see what I can do. Okay, so here's my first one. Trivia. Sweet trivia. 
Question number one, which one of Noah's grandsons did he curse? Noah's grandsons? Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be Canaan through Good. him. That's yeah. right, because of what his father did. Yep. Yeah. Um, Canaan is the answer, Genesis 9 and verse 25. He says, cursed be Canaan. Very good. Oh, well, thank you. Well, uh, I'm going to have to make my questions a little tougher. Maybe you'll have to be a little more specific than I intended you to be. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, I'm going to come from 2 Kings, where uh, one of our favorite stories um, is the Syrian general Naaman coming before Elisha to to be healed of his leprosy. And he was. But someone else became a leper shortly after. Who was he and why did he become a leper? So the only way I can get this wrong is if you tell me I pronounced his name wrong. Um, Gehazi or Gehazi? Gehazi? You've got the right guy. Yep. So Gehazi, he only becomes a leper because... Naaman tried to offer gifts to Elisha, and Elisha says, no, you know, I don't want any of that. And then I think Naaman says, well, let me take some of the soil of, mm-hmm. of this land so that when I worship, he can actually be on the, the physical soil. Doesn't he allow that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now he takes the soil, he's departed back to Syria, and Gehazi pursues him and says, you know what? We changed our mind. We do. We want those cl- uh, articles of clothing. And I think he takes a few other things from him. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, then Elisha says, what were you doing? Or where did you go? <laughs> oh, nowhere. How do you oh, do? I didn't do anything. I was sitting in my <laughs> you room. You should know better than that. <laughs> when Elijah asks you a question, <laughs> just answer it. You just better get with it. Yeah. So tell him the truth. <laughs> and so he says, the leprosy that was on Naaman is now yours. Yep. And, and you're going to die with it. Yep. That's in 2 Kings 5, 20 through 27. Perfect. Awesome. Almost that was a perfect description. Good. That's all really right. Cool. Question number two for Kurt. Question number three for the rest of you. How many chapters are in the book of Proverbs? Thirty-one. Yes, sir. Proverbs thirty-one answers that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so for me, I, I know the last chapter in Proverbs is the, the virtuous woman. The virtuous woman. Yep. Yeah. And in. in her value is found there. That is the last chapter in Proverbs 31. Yeah. And what a what a way to end that amazing book of practical wisdom. Yeah. Good job, man. You got both of them. What did you think? Did I raise the bar a little or? Well, I I was able to scrape over. I mean, I may the bar wobbled a little bit, but I, I mean I should get over. It was right at the four foot mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hung in there. Good job. Yay. Okay, my uh, final question then is, uh, we're told in the book of Acts that Peter went down to Joppa and stayed there for a while. And, of course, it's from there that he went on up and and visited Cornelius. But while he was in Joppa, who did he stay with? He was lodging with Simon the Tanner. That is correct. Ring that correct bell. Ding, ding. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, verse 43, he stayed with... Simon the Tanner, which must have been an ordeal because being a tanner (laughs) is not a real clean and uh, pleasant occupation to be involved in. Yes. Uh, It stinks. If you've ever walked into a taxidermy studio, you get a hint of what it's like. But he was staying with him. And... uh, it's there that he received his vision from heaven of the of the sheet being let down with all sorts of animals and stuff and 
the voice telling him to slay and eat. Not so, Lord. I've never done that. I've never done that. Don't call clean or common what I have cleansed. That's exactly right. So, important lesson. But you're right. Simon the Tanner, Acts chapter 9. 9 and verse? 43. 43. Yep, All right. 43. Awesome. We sure hope that all of you did well. We did pretty good today ourselves and always feel good about that, knowing and understanding the Word of God uh, and having that uh, hidden in our hearts so that we might not sin against the Lord. We will, as we mentioned, we'll continue to go through the resurrection, and we want to emphasize again how important this is for all of us because it is being attacked, and it has to be, because if the resurrection can be torn down, then everything else will start to fall apart. But it cannot be torn down when you look at it closely and you when you look at it with an open mind and obviously an approach toward what is true, what is right, what can be established, and how can I defend this when, it's, when it comes up, because it certainly will. The devil's never going to stop. Uh, we want to be prepared. We want to know these things for ourselves and for our own peace of mind. And so we'll, we'll continue to move through that as the Lord gives us time.